Welcome to the Sourcing Hero podcast produced by Una, a group purchasing organization that empowers sourcing heroes and Art of Procurement, the world's largest procurement podcast network. I'm your host, Kelly Barner. The goal of the Sourcing Hero podcast is to capture the epic stories of people who are rising up and beating the odds to create exceptional value within procurement directly from those heroes themselves. Today, my guest here on the Sourcing Hero podcast is Sarah Kay. Sarah has worked in procurement for many companies that you've no doubt heard of. Target, Radisson Hotel Group, WeWork, and now she works for Spin Mobility, an electric scooter and bike share company. But she actually started her career in marketing and sales, a background that serves her well given today's procurement challenges. So hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you so much, Kelly, for having me. And thanks for having me on the Sourcing Hero podcast. So as I mentioned in my intro, you've worked at every company that any of us has ever heard of, um, which gives you a really diverse background and I'm sure a lot to draw from as you are in your current role. But what else should people know about your journey to this point on a more detailed level? Yeah, you know, um, while I've been at these really large corporations that a lot of people have heard of, I actually started on the vendor side. Um, So I started off working uh, for a small uh, ladder manufacturing company where I earned my stripes doing those late night calls with our (laughs) factories that we managed in China. Uh, You know, had to get very scrappy uh, into the night on these calls to figure out how we were going to make our shipments on the water on time. So I'm sure a lot of other procurement professionals still wake up with those nightmares. Oh, yes. So definitely, um, you know, that's how I started. Um, and then um, go, moving into then flipping into the buyer side of working for Target and into these large corporations. So honestly, I think transitioning from there to that buyer side gave me that perspective and empathy that really helps uh, in the procurement industry, um, really being able to push internally on what we're asking our vendors to do and what hoops I know I've had to go through to be a supplier for one of these large corporations. So um, I think that's really important for all of us to be mindful of and and really try to think what can we push back internally to save our suppliers when we can. No, I agree with you. And it's interesting because you've had sort of a, a couple of different steps to get to where you are. As you mentioned, you started, um, on the, you know, on the other side, sourcing from China, working for the the ladder manufacturer. But then you went from direct spend. And I think you told me previously, you actually went from there kicking and screaming, I believe the quote was, into indirect spend. Yeah. What was that transition like? Yeah. Um, so at that point, you know, my career had all been on the direct side where you really get to know a product, the suppliers very intimately that produce that product. You get to know their full supply chain, um, you know, all the way back to the raw materials. And I found that really fascinating. And 
um, working at the time, um, at this point, I was at Radisson Hotel Group where I was embedded in FF&E and I loved my FF&E category with the furniture suppliers, the lighting, the artwork, all of that. And at that time, my boss, who I highly respected, had said, "It's you know, we want you to move into corporate contracts and we want you to move into the indirect side. And at that point, you know, this was to get you know, escalated, you know, up or elevated into my next position and to give me more perspective as a procurement professional. So I knew he had my career development and best interests in mind, but I literally was at the point where I was ready to think about quitting because I did not want to do corporate contracts. I thought it would be boring. I thought, who cares about these IT contracts and that's not any fun. The fun is working with the designers on the products and the vendors. And I just didn't think you could build the kind of relationship and get creative in programs like you can on the direct. But I found out very quickly I was wrong. It really doesn't matter what you're negotiating. Um, as a procurement you know, professional, you, you really have that curiosity anyways and that um, business-minded, relationship-driven um, sort of that's how you're motivated that no matter what category, no matter what industry, you start to really care about it. You start to get passionate and you start to find it all incredibly interesting so you can get creative in those contracts. Well, you refer to passion and I think that's sort of an interesting step to our next question, which is something we had also talked about previously, probably from your sales and marketing background, is this need to create surprise and delight, sort of what we talk about generally as the customer experience, especially for anybody that's done time in retail. How do you take that idea of wanting to surprise and delight your customers or your users, but in the context of indirect sourcing? Yeah, you know, it's a really good question. Um, because even from a, you know, with that sales and that marketing start, if you will, you know, it's really what it taught me is it's really about the end use. And at the end of the day, what's going to move the needle for our customers and how do we build this relationship and demonstrate the value to our, you know, to our customers. And for us, we're really, our customers are our internal business stakeholders in the most case, right? So the different departments we work with internally. And the biggest um, way that I can surprise and delight them is by demonstrating. I find that when I try to demonstrate it, that I'm not only about getting the lowest price, procurement is not here, like that's a given, but we're bigger and better and can add more value than that. Um, we really are looking to find and help you find the partner that will add the most value. So, you know, whether it's more quality, a better SLAs, you know, making it so that you have less time trying to escalate a problem to their help desk, of, you know, to a vendor's help desk, whatever it is, you know, that's how I find that I get the most kind of surprise and delight. I'm overcoming that stigma that procurement only cares about driving down the best price. Um, another way I find is, you know, often I think, um, a lot of procurement professionals have it in their mind that the way to surprise and delight our stakeholders is to just 
execute faster and don't be a bottleneck. And I'm just going to really make them happy by getting through this contract really quickly. So um, often if a stakeholder comes to a procurement professional, and I'm definitely guilty of this in my younger, earlier years, was, you know, if a stakeholder would come to me, I was so happy that they, you know, that they finally reached out to me for help on a contract that I would want to get through it quickly. And you know, still do a good job betting the vendor and finding ways to try to, you know, negotiate better terms or new wins or better value to the contract. You know, that's what I thought was really a surprise and delight. But now looking at it, I really think that the better surprise and delight is when you can really emphasize the process to the to our stakeholders and really get them to understand, do we even need this new vendor? Do we even need this new contract? What are the what are the downstream effects of adding another vendor and and are we now going to diversify our spend and our portfolio and does that give us better leverage across your category and i think that that's how we surprise and delight sometimes by just saying no or we don't need this um is honestly the best way so um i, I think that's really important to, to call out you know when i was at target um, we used to have this saying, and it was, be soft on the people, but hard on the issues. And I think it's so true. And I think that I find that I get the most um, praise from business stakeholders when I do reemphasize process and that the world is changing and resources are limited. You know, we all know attrition is high. So, you know, we need to feel comfortable pushing process and explaining how this keeps procurement agile. I love that expression, be soft on the people, but hard on the issues. Yeah. Because business is still tough and there's so much uncertainty and there are so many challenges we have to overcome. I also, I think it's interesting in listening to you talk about how procurement should position themselves internally. You know, I go back to an expression I think of, which is you are what you're told you are. And this is sort of the reverse of that. This is sort of like, People will see you the way you tell them or demonstrate to them they should see you. And that what might, might be what gets us beyond this association where you say procurement and people go savings or procurement mm -hmm. and people say lowest cost. Do you have any other general advice about how procurement individuals and teams can better market or position their value proposition internally? Yeah, I mean, I think it really starts with asking stakeholders what their goals and needs are. Um, I, I like to think, you know, asking them what would turn this vendor or this program into something that you would want to share it with your boss or even post to the company internet of this new exciting program or new way of working with a vendor. You know, what are the things to them that are important? Um, I think asking beyond specific contract renewal needs, you know, what is in their department's roadmap for the next three, six, 12 months, showing that we're not just looking at this, you know, from a short term of this contract, how can I help you with this contract, but I really want to understand your department's needs on the long term and help you achieve them. You know, we work so closely with finance, where I think from my experience, a lot of other department stakeholders can find you know, uh, challenges there with their budgets or with getting approvals. And, you know, procurement can add a lot of value there because we can become an advocate because we've helped to verify the ROI and not only just the ROI for that stakeholder, but 
we know how to kind of position it for how it's going to get approved because we've verified that this makes the best sense for what finances needs for the upcoming headcount. So if it's a new software we're looking to buy, you know, we've vetted that this contract, that this negotiation has legs that support the company's two year, three year plans. Now you mentioned advocacy a minute ago, and I do think that's both an important and a growing part of procurement's role, and perhaps one of the areas we're able to see that the the best is through diversity, which is a big central movement in procurement these days. And it can mean a lot of different things, but we should never overlook what it means in terms of perspective. And I know from your past experience, you have a story about how that played out in practice. So can I have you share the shampoo and conditioner story as an example of how diversity of perspective should play out in business? Yeah, definitely. Um, Well, first I want to just mention, you know, as far as diversity goes for procurement in general, right? So within sourcing, we know supplier diversity is important. It's something that I, I hope more and more companies do. I think in procurement, we've known for a while and more companies are realizing that um, not just important to drive innovation and cut costs, but you know, more importantly, it gives us the ability as an organization to do the right thing. And, and that's personally why I love being in procurement so much. Um, it, it almost gives procurement professionals our like a special superpower um, because because we have responsibility and the ability to, you know, get uh, to help these underrepresented communities and less supported countries by doing business with them, or at least giving the opportunity to do business, right? So we don't always select the vendors we work with, Mm. but we help find them and state the business case and give the opportunity so that we have more ability to as an organization. Um, and, And not only is supplier diversity important, but so is internal diversity. And I've found in my career that making sure that you have diversity in the room with these key decisions being made is is so incredibly important because, I mean, I'll share this one example in the story of the shampoo. So when I was going back to my, you know, when I was at Radisson, uh, one of the categories I worked on was amenities. Uh, so that's the shampoo, the conditioner, the little, you know, bottles that you use, or sometimes the pump uh, in the shower. You know, it, and I'd like to say it's unbelievable how you don't realize how much time and energy goes into every decision of every product being, you know, it, being placed. Um, so going to the amenities, Uh, I was walking in, I was earlier in my career, but this was my category and it was uh, an area of quite a huge amount of spend. So we were looking, how can we cut costs here? And this gave a huge opportunity to do so. So I um, recommended, uh, you know, what we could do for the shampoo and the conditioner and, and demonstrating this whole, you know, new brand line. And our whole leadership team you know, to say at the time, in the room at least, was male. So I'm looking at this room of male with short to little to no hair around me. <laughs> and we're talking about shampoo, conditioner, you know, items that necessary. You, you know, you want to have hair. And I, I watched them all going around and, and talking about the products. And they're like, okay, here's how we should save money. I've got it. Let's just stop using conditioner in certain brands because who even uses the conditioner? And I'm watching them, you know, 
turn heads and smile and agree with each other that you're right. I never use the conditioner. No, I use the shampoo. <laughs> Nobody uses the conditioner. Fine. And, and I could see how this, you know, of course, that this is how sometimes decisions can be made. And thank goodness, I mean, I was in the room and I said, my mouth nearly dropped to the floor. You almost couldn't, I almost had to pick it back up to talk to say, uh, excuse me, as a woman here with very long, thick hair, I would never dream of using shampoo and not following with conditioner. So I'm sorry, but this is a non-starter. Literally, you're going to alienate half of our customers, half of our guests. You're going to be, you know, really underwhelming them and getting complaints. So um, I think this is just an important example. Obviously, it's not the end all be all, but it's an important example to show. If you don't have diversity in the room to represent, you need represent representation for your customers to make smarter decisions that impact them. I do think that's a great example. And I think it's great partially because I can at least relate to it. Anybody that's welcome to take it, my link, look at my LinkedIn photo will know that I need to use conditioner. But I also think that it's something we all have experience with and can imagine an extension where it would truly affect us. And especially anyone that's ever been in a high-level leadership or even an entrepreneurial position, that story sort of gives you goosebumps because you think how close they came to making a significant mistake. And if you hadn't been there, and if you hadn't felt the agency or the ability to use your voice and to say, hey, guys, you're all unanimous about something that's taking you down the wrong path, they would have just marched down that road and they might have never actually realized that that decision traced back to some loss of business or decreased customer satisfaction or lower traveler ratings. Um, and so I think... I think that's an incredibly important example. It's a story that stuck with me when you first shared it. Um, and I, you know, I think as we start to wrap up our time, one of the things I'm looking forward to getting your point of view on, people that listen to The Sourcing Hero know that you're about to get the choice, Sarah. So you can choose between one of two questions. I would like to know from you either how would you describe what it means to be a sourcing hero? Or how would you characterize what heroism means in a business context? And it's entirely up to you. Um, you know, I, I listened to the pod, so I knew that one was coming. And um, I, I was thinking, which one am I going to choose? But I think, honestly, I think at this point, because uh, procurement is a department that should be at the table um, regarded with all different stakeholders in business. And, you know, I think seeing with other very, very um, successful business leaders, it brings me back to um, something that has always resonated with me since my learnings in school by Linda Hill. So I'm going to pick this, the question of what does heroism look like in a business context? And to me, uh, going back to what I was saying about Linda Hill, she had said um, leading, you know, it's very important you lead from behind. And that resonated with me because I think that's what heroism looks like in a business context. I think that, you know, having worked in a lot of companies where, you know, especially large corporations, people do want to advance and they want to, you know, be able to communicate their wins and, and as they should. But I really think that empowering and supporting your team is best done by letting them take the lead and ensuring that they have the visibility with leadership. They can share their wins directly. 
Uh, I remember in certain, uh, certain times, certain instances, I could never communicate any wins that I had, or I watched as fellow peers were frustrated because, you know, they had to share all the details with their manager so their manager could share it with leadership. Uh And I was thinking, you know, these people do all the work and, you know, they don't get that same feeling of, of getting to communicate it and um, that same visibility. So that, that one, I think very strongly, I think that heroism in business is letting others rise up and leading from behind. I think that's an excellent point of view. And and I even would like to think that in those companies where people don't have the opportunity to share their wins, clearly somewhere along the way, a dynamic, a cultural element, some kind of process thing went wrong. But if those leaders are good, you would like to think that they also would want to hear those stories and see examples of their team members rising up. Because I think that has a way of what's the expression, the rising tide lifts all boats. I think it has a way of inspiring everyone by watching your your teammates succeed. And that way everybody can kind of celebrate together. So I think I think that's an excellent example, Sarah. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, thank you so much as well. Appreciate, you know, being on the on the podcast. Now for people that have listened in today that would like to learn more about you or would like to connect with you. What is the best way for them to get in touch? LinkedIn. Um, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. I think that's the best way. So um, Sarah K, uh, just K-A-Y-E, um, searching on LinkedIn. And uh, I think I should pop up. I'm not sure if there's too many others, but look for the one that's at Spin. And we want to hear from everybody their opinions on the conditioner too, right? We want we want affirmation from everybody. Yes, please keep the conditioner. We all want to keep that in uh, in hotel rooms. <laughs> yes, definitely. So, Sarah, thank you so much for being here with me today on the Sourcing Hero podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Kelly. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sourcing Hero podcast. Join us again next time for more true stories of sourcing and business heroism performed by your colleagues and peers. Look for The Sourcing Hero wherever you get your podcasts, and don't forget to subscribe. Finally, don't forget, sourcing heroism is taking place all around us every day. Keep your eyes open and you're bound to see it. Until next time, I'm your host, Kelly Barner. Stay well and always remember that you can be a hero too.